Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Welcome to the Peter King Podcast. You know, we're entering week 11, and I keep thinking to myself, some week I'm going to come and say, well... You know, we got five games postponed this week. And look, you know, as you listen to this, whether it's Wednesday or Thursday or Friday, whenever, uh, who knows what can happen this weekend. But I continue to think how remarkable it is that there's been no games postponed yet. Anyway, this week, it's kind of a fun podcast. We're going to have Adam Thielen of the Minnesota Vikings, uh, the wide receiver, had two touchdown catches in the Monday night win at Chicago. But... I'll tell you, the thing, the thing that really caught my eye is Adam Thielen wearing cleats, paying tribute to Alex Trebek. So we're certainly going to get into that with him. And then we're going to have one of the first punters in podcast history, <laughs> Johnny Hecker of the Los Angeles Rams, who I think is just absolutely superb. And I don't know, three, four weeks ago, I don't know if you remember on Monday Night Football against the Chicago Bears, you know, he dropped five punts inside the 10. And I just said, that is an incredible, incredible accomplishment. So his reward is an appearance on the Peter King podcast. So uh, we'll have Johnny Hecker as well. But before we get into our guests, let's talk about just very quick hit three sentences on five different teams okay we're going to start with the new england patriots okay the patriots are four and five which i think with that roster is a fairly incredible accomplishment and while i do think that everybody should just slow down a little bit and talking about oh my god they're going to be in the playoffs and, and look at them making this huge comeback we have to remember it's just been a week and a half since they t- trailed the worst team in our memory, the New York Jets. I'm exaggerating a little bit, but the worst team we've seen in a while in the NFL. They trailed by 10 points in the fourth quarter and had to pull out all the stops to get a win there. But uh, kudos to, and kudos to Josh McDaniels. That was a great game plan uh, that had the Patriots beat uh, the Baltimore Ravens on Sunday night. The Houston Texans. So Ian Rappaport of NFL Network had a very good story um, up the other day. And the story was that the, uh, the Houston Texans could make Romeo Cornell uh, the coach of this franchise for the 2021 season. So in other words, he would be the coach for one and three quarter years. Because uh, in, according to Rappaport's report, the Texans were concerned that they wouldn't be able to run a regular coaching search because of COVID. And I thought that is the biggest bunch of crap I've ever heard in my life. I mean, the NFL can have a draft uh, and do that remotely. And, and, you know, for three days, the NFL can conduct free agency uh, for a week or two weeks, do that all virtually. And you can't hire a coach by doing video conference interviews, by taking private planes, sitting 15 feet apart from the candidates. It's just, it's just an absurd statement. And the Houston Texans, ladies and gentlemen, are in big, big trouble, just big trouble, if they're thinking that way. 
Number three, the Philadelphia Eagles. Now, look, I think that what happened on Sunday when they lost to the Giants was basically that when you, when you have a team that's really struggling, you want to give them all the help that you can. You want to basically say, I've got all the faith in you. And so you do a dumb thing, like in my opinion, like Doug Peterson did with 20 minutes left in the game. Uh, he's down four points. They've just scored. He can kick the extra point to go down three, or he can go for two for some reason to go down two points. So obviously you want to be down two instead of three, but you don't want to be down four. And they went for two, they failed. And I think it's a direct uh, result, basically, of it's not Doug Peterson losing his mind. It's a direct result of Doug Peterson really having lost his faith in his offense and particularly in Carson Wentz. Now, look, he will defend Carson Wentz to the death. That's what a coach has to do. The Philadelphia Eagles have to be getting very worried about the short and long-term future of Carson Wentz. I know I would be if I watched him play right now. <clears throat> Number four, the Chicago Bears. You saw on Monday night one of the worst offensive performances of the year, uh, maybe in the top one. Uh, and you just have to start to think that they're going to have to build this thing from scratch, whether it's going to be Ryan Pace uh, and Matt Nagy, or the GM and coach doing it. Their offense is an absolute disaster. It's a debacle. And it goes back, obviously, to picking, picking uh, Mitchell Trubisky over either Patrick Mahomes or Deshaun Watson. But, hey, that's ancient history. Uh, we're almost four years removed from that event right now. But the biggest thing that you have to be concerned with, what are the Bears going to do going forward? Uh, they right now, even though they're five and five and theoretically in the thick of the playoff hunt, um, you know, they've lost four in a row. Uh, they have their bye coming up where they can lick their wounds. But coming out of the bye, they got to play at Lambeau Field. They're not winning that game. So they'll be five and six. And then they're in an absolute dogfight to even make the playoffs. So I don't know. I, I don't know who's going to survive in Chicago, but I think they've got to start from scratch on offense. Who's going to do that? I don't know. The New Orleans Saints, number five. Just two thoughts about the Saints. Number one, I think this is almost if you're going to have a crisis within your organization and lose Drew Brees, uh, maybe for a month. You want to have that crisis with uh, the, the following schedule coming up for the next four weeks. Three and six Atlanta, at three and six Denver, at three and six Atlanta, at three, five and one Philadelphia. So I think that they ought to be able to go three and one with some, combination of Jameis Winston and uh, uh, Taysom Hill. I don't think that Jameis Winston is going to be the every down quarterback. He'll be the most down quarterback, I think, but Taysom Hill is going to get his opportunity. It's a big chance for Jameis Winston to show that his career has been rehabbed and whether it be 2021 or 22, teams should feel good if they need a quarterback about hiring this guy. So we'll see what happens. But anyway, five quick thoughts uh, for going into week 11. And uh, now let's get to our interviews, our conversations. First, we're going to start with, uh, we're going to start with Adam Thielen, the wide receiver of the Minnesota Vikings. He's a really good guy, good person, uh, and uh, is playing very, very well. And you know, it's interesting that the rookie, Justin Jefferson, if anything, has made Adam Thielen even better than he was because Justin Jefferson is the genuine item. So anyway, let's talk to Adam Thielen, see what he's up to, and, uh, and then we'll get to Johnny Hecker after Adam Thielen. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. 
Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one McCrispy, so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. With the Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need. That means you earn 2% cash rewards on what you want, like season tickets to watch your favorite team, and 2% cash rewards on what you need, like paying for parking. That's the beauty of the Active Cash Credit Card. It's ready when you are with unlimited 2% cash rewards. The Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card. That's real life ready. Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com slash active cash. Back on the Peter King Podcast. So happy to be joined by Adam Thielen, wide receiver of the Minnesota Vikings, coming off a big game on Monday night. Uh, Adam Thielen is with a couple of touchdown grabs, helped the Vikings uh, advance to four and five, which still sounds so weird. I, you know, obviously I expect you to be seven and three or something at this point, but whatever. Um, you're playing very, very well as a team right now on a winning streak and happy to be joined by Adam. Adam, thank you. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Okay. So I want to ask you, we're going to get to some questions about uh, Thanksgiving, which is coming up and something that you do with your foundation, which I think is really cool. uh, As many players in the NFL do, but I want to start with football and I want to ask you if you can to just tell me, what it was like for you guys as a team uh, to start off so poorly. And then I think especially the loss to Atlanta at home and then going and having your bye week right after that, you had to be thinking, man, what in the world is going on here? Yeah, for sure. No, uh, definitely frustrated. Uh, Definitely wasn't where, where we expected to be or wanted to be. Um, you know, when you when you put a lot of work and effort and uh, and you got a lot of great talent and, and great coaches in your locker room, uh, you just it, it hurts even worse when you don't when you don't meet expectations, you don't play the way that, you know, you can. Uh, but we also the other side of it was we had a lot of great you know leaders in the locker room that were just everybody was positive, you know, even, you know, guys that haven't been around a lot that aren't used to losing. Um, you know, everybody was just positive. Everybody was excited to get back to work. Um, and, you know, that's not always the case. I've been around uh, other teams where, you know, it's not going well and, uh, you know, fingers start getting pointed, things like that. And, and that was not the case. So uh, I think that's, you know, the main reason why we've been able to have some success these last couple of weeks, because no one panicked, no one lost hope. Uh, everybody was kind of focused on, on themselves, trying to get better and, and going to work every day to, to help the team win. So what would you say if I asked you the difference between the Vikings team, you know, that started so poorly and the one that is rebounded uh, in the last month? Yeah, I think it's just confidence. I think, uh, you know, guys are playing with confidence right now. We, we trust one another that uh, we're going to do our job to help the other person make a play. And, um, you know, our defense is playing great. Uh, you know, our offense is, is being able to use a lot of different weapons, uh, you know, spread the ball around, you know, be able to run and, and pass, which is obviously important in this league. Um, and, and, you know, the, we're able to flip the field position, things like that, that, that we always talk about. You know, those are the things that we talk about in the offseason. We talk about uh, what has helped us win in the past, what's helped and what has made us lose games in the past. It's always comes down to those things, right? Uh, being complimentary, uh, complimentary football team, being able to, uh, do those little things to help the team win and be successful. So, uh, you know, I'd say that's the biggest difference. But uh, the other side of that is kind of what I talked about is is it really hasn't changed that much. I think it's just that we've trusted the process and um, it's taken a little bit of time. We have a lot of young guys that are playing some uh, key positions that, you know, it just takes a little time, especially this year with no OTAs, uh, no training, you know, a shortened training camp, no preseason games. Uh, so that, that, that uh, is also a big factor. You know, I also look at what you've done the last three weeks, really, in basically trusting Dalvin Cook and Alexander Madison. You know, to me, I have to realize kind of what you're 
team is. And I think one of the ways you guys really improved last year, you know, with all due respect to your passing game, is you basically didn't have Kirk Cousins passing it 40 times a game, you know, where you realized, hey, let's play clock ball a little bit. Let's possess the ball. Let's let these great runners do what they do. And now the last three weeks, I, I don't know how many times you guys have run it the last three weeks, but it's got to be close to 100. And I think especially when you have physical pounding backs the way you have, especially in your division, I think that really is a great way to play football. And I know it's a way that Mike Zimmer likes to play football. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I mean, that's that's obviously important is time of possession. Um, I think that in this league, you can't just sit back and and uh, drop back, you know, 30, 40 times a game. You, you just can't do that and, and expect to be successful. So, uh, you know, we know uh, what our strengths are on this team. Uh, we know that we have one of the best running backs, if not the best running back in the NFL. Um, we have an offensive line that that is just uh, playing extremely well right now and, and playing really well together. Um, and then, and then when we have to have to throw the ball, we have plenty of weapons, and and, and Kirk's able to spread the ball around, uh, find different guys, and and you know those are those are things that people don't really talk about a lot, but but really help your team be successful on Sundays. I want to ask you a little bit about Justin Jefferson, and I think a lot of people, when you made the trade of uh, of Stephon Diggs to the Buffalo Bills. Obviously, he was a great player for you guys. To replace him with the same draft pick that you got from Buffalo with another receiver, it automatically puts uh, some pressure on this young kid coming in. He's still only 21 years old, I think. And I wonder, tell me, especially without a normal off-season program, Justin Jefferson, who has got, uh, you know, averaging 18 yards a catch, has had 42 catches so far. How has he been able to hit the ground running? Yeah, it's 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 honestly been extremely impressive. You know, I, I forget that he's only 21 years old because uh, he's not playing like it. Uh, he he's a special player. Uh, he's a, he's a great person in the locker room. Uh, he's always got a smile on his face. Always uh, having fun. Um, and and when he gets on that field, he's he's a he's a special football player. So uh, thankful that uh, we had him on Monday night because he saved us and. On, in some big spots and made some huge plays at crucial moments. So, uh, you know, we're going to need him to continue to do that because he's, uh, you know, a big part of this offense and, and a big reason why we've, we've been able to win some games these last few weeks. You know, in modern football, people probably don't realize it as much or don't think about it as much. But the thing I find most interesting about the way the system works, it really rewards teams for bringing in players on rookie contracts who can play so well. And I mean, you know, Stefan Diggs this year is cap number is, I don't know, maybe 14 million and Jefferson's is maybe two and a half. And that'll continue for the next say three years. And I think the one thing that your team does and does well is that it really, it, it's, it's a pragmatic team. I think Rick Spielman understands that sometimes, even though Stefan Diggs made huge plays for your team, you know, maybe it's better to go with the youth, go with the more manageable uh, cap number, particularly when the cap might be, uh, you know, hitting a big dive in 2021. So I, just, I think all around that was a smart move for, for your team. How did you see it? Yeah, you know, it's 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 obviously a business, and uh, that that part of the uh, of football, I don't I don't really understand, and I and obviously I don't get too involved with, but um, but yeah, you you kind of uh, understand that things like that are going to happen, um, and you know you don't necessarily uh, you know want to see your your close friend leave and go to a different team, but uh, you also uh, know that this is a business and that stuff happens. So uh, we also trust that our our you know upstairs is going to do. Uh, what's best for this team uh, and that they're going to do what it what it takes to that they think is going to help us win games. So uh, we got to do our part and, and continue to to grow and get better and, and not question things. Just trust the process uh, like we've been doing and, and uh, try to do our best to help us help this team win. Adam, how much has COVID and all of the cautions, all of the restrictions 
changed your life both personally and as a football player? Well, yeah, it's been a lot different, uh, but, you know, on the field, no different. You know, it's still football, obviously, you know, meetings, all that. It's it's all the same. Uh, there might be some different things. You know, we got to do some virtual and some smaller group sizes and, and things like that. And uh, all the testing, it, it definitely adds to your day and, uh, you know, things you got to think about. But at the end of the day, at least we're still playing football and able to be around our teammates and, and uh, you know, play this game we love. But um, but yeah, it hasn't, hasn't changed a whole lot. Just, uh, things are kind of shifted around a little bit and uh, a little bit of added thinking throughout the day of making sure you got your tracker on you and get tested before a certain time and, and all that. But, uh, at the end of the day, it's still football. What time do you get tested in the morning? Uh, you gotta be in there before like 10 o'clock, I think it is. But, uh, I usually just on my way into the building in the morning, uh, you know, six 30 or so I'll, I'll hop in there and get tested before I get in the building that way it's just kind of routine um you know off days are, are the tough ones because you you forget that you got to go to the building even on an off day and, and make sure you get tested how, how about how much has it changed life at home do you have to be careful around your family at all no no not not really just because uh, you know it's it, during the season anyways you're already busy and uh, you're not doing a whole lot because it's you, you're so busy so uh, you know, if it was the off season, it'd be a different deal, but you know, right now, uh, it's, it's pretty similar to what we always do. My boys are, uh, still going to school, uh, doing those things, but, uh, uh, yeah, we haven't had it affect us too much. How old are your boys? Uh, we got two and a four year old, so they're just in preschool, but a couple days a week. And, and so they actually go to a physical school right now, right? They are. Yep. Yep. So they're, they're yeah. uh, my oldest, my four-year-old goes three days a week and then uh, my two-year-old goes two days a week. So, um, and then they're in like smaller class sizes and uh, you got to do a little bit different drop-offs. So uh, they're not in, in big groups and things like that. So it's a little bit different for them, but it's, it's keeping them safe and, and us safe and, and other families safe. So that's good. You say you got to trust the process. You got to trust that those, that the uh, people, those uh, schools are taking all the precautions. Yeah, uh, they, and that's they are. They're doing. They're doing a great job. It's. It's a. It adds a lot of work for them. You know, having to uh, come meet us at the door and and grab each each kid and have different drop off times and doing all that. But uh, they do a great job. We're thankful for that. I know my my wife is thankful for it because that's a. It's a little bit of a relief for her not having to have them full time every single day. So it's a, it's it's all good. You've always been the type of guy, at least the way I have looked at you and know you just a little bit, you've always been the type of guy who's so grateful for where you are, what you have, and particularly where you have come from. You know, you were the a gigantic underdog coming out of college. And I wonder now, as you go through your season and you look forward to Thanksgiving, how much does that mean to you? And do you try to take time every year and and do some stuff in the community and and really try to help people who might not have as much as you do? Yeah, absolutely. That's the uh, main focus of our foundation. My wife and I started the Thielen Foundation a few years back, and and that was the whole purpose of it is to uh, help the you know people that that need it the most that that don't have the resources opportunities that that we grew up with uh, that we have uh, been blessed to have. Um, and we, we make that a priority. And uh, we also uh, try to uh, instill that in our kids. And, and you know, obviously this year is different, but usually they come with us to these different events that we do, uh, the Thanksgiving uh, turkey giveaway uh, that Jenny O does a great job donating a bunch of turkeys. Uh, last year they donated 1,000. This year they they're donated 2,000. So uh, unfortunately we weren't able to be there this year to hand them out because uh, we really enjoy getting out in the community and and being involved uh, physically, um, but uh, obviously this year's a little, little bit different. But uh, again, how are, you, how are you able to do? How are you able to do it this year? How did you give away the turkeys this year? Yeah, so Jenny O uh, donated them, and uh, you know the people that uh, help us uh, run our foundation, that run our foundation, uh, kind of set it all up through the Salvation Army, and and uh, they were still able to pretty much do the same thing we did last year. Just uh, my wife and I and and our boys weren't able to be there to to physically hand them out. So 
uh, again, that's it's unfortunate, but uh, we feel that that in this time it's it's uh, needed more than ever. And there's probably a lot of people that that have never uh, needed help before that that now need it. So uh, we wanted to make sure that we were still doing that and and helping families, uh, you know, have a good Thanksgiving dinner and and be able to spend a little bit of time with their family. That's the thing that uh, I think a lot of people really don't see is that there's probably 15 or 20 people on your team and on every team in the league that have either something through their foundation or something that guys will just do in the local community, uh, especially at this time of year. For as long as I've covered the NFL, it's always been really impressive to me that especially at this time of year, guys do things and really do a lot of very, very generous things. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's, uh, it's actually, it's pretty wild, you know, how many guys, uh, you know, make that a, a priority and that on their off day, uh, they're, they're doing community service. Uh, they're getting out in the community and serving, uh, whether they have a foundation or not, they, they want it, they want to help. And, uh, we've had plenty of guys come out to, to our different events and help us out. Um, you know, I remember when I was a, a young player and, and all the older guys that had foundation and foundations and, and were doing so much in the community, uh, you know, we were able to go and, and help them as well. So it's, it's kind of a, it's a cool tradition that, that the NFL has. I mean, I know every team has just several, several guys that people don't even know uh, all that they do, you know, and, and especially for us, we don't have a whole lot of off time uh, and for guys to, to give up that time to go uh, serve these communities that they're not even from. Uh, that they they don't really know that well, and and for them to do that is I think is is extremely impression impressive and and noteworthy. It had to be kind of odd this week that you get home from Chicago at whatever time, probably four in the morning, and then Tuesday's your off day, and it doesn't matter if you know if you haven't gotten much sleep. That's your day that you can actually do some of these things. So what what did you do on Tuesday? What what sort of activities were you able to do yeah so we did have our that was uh yesterday we did have our turkey giveaway uh again we weren't able to be there but uh just did some uh, media for that trying to uh you know promote that and and uh just show um you know how great you know jenny o is to this community and, and salvation army and all that they're doing trying to uh give them the credit they deserve for for all they're doing in this community especially during these these holiday seasons um but then uh but then yeah just try to spend time with family try to get a little nap in while the boys were in school and uh, uh, get ready for today to get back to work. You know, I'll end with this. I've asked a bunch of players this year during the course of the year, how weird it is to play either with no fans or very few fans. And I, I, I wonder whether it has any impact on how you actually play the game. Let's take Monday night, for instance, in a, kind of a desolate soldier field where, you know, you've played some games there and it's loud and angry and very partisan toward the Bears. So what is it like to play either with no fans or very few? Yeah, definitely different. Uh, miss having the uh, packed stadiums, that's for sure. Uh, but at the same time, it is, it's your job. It is what it is. You got to figure out how to find a way uh, to get your own, bring your own energy. You know, we talk about that a lot this year because uh, you know, you're so used to having the crowd that kind of creates that for you. You don't have to get up for game day when you have a packed stadium of 60,000 fans. Uh, there's no, there's no uh, extra motivation you need. Uh, but this year is just a lot different. You don't have that adrenaline. You don't have that emotion from the, from the fans that, that creates so much emotion on the field. Uh, so it, it is different, but uh, you got to find a way. That's uh, what we do as athletes, as competitors. Uh, you adjust, you adapt, and, and you overcome. Uh, we'll we'll end with this, Adam. You you guys obviously uh, come up from being one and five. You're now four and five, and now you've got a rarity. You've got three straight games at home in your season, and I wonder, uh, does it feel like on the inside that you guys have kind of saved your season, and that you've got a real chance now to make the playoffs? Well, I, I know I know that we feel that we find you know are in a position now that we we have an opportunity, yeah. Uh, but I don't think anybody's changing their mentality. Uh, we know how difficult it is to win in this league, whether you're at home, away, playing a 
a team that's undefeated or a team that has no wins. It, it, it is difficult to win in this league. I, I heard another player uh, talking about that. Uh, you know, someone was giving him a hard time about barely beating a team that wasn't have a great record, but it's like, it, it doesn't matter in this league because it, it is difficult to win. So uh, you got to focus, you got to grind every week. You got to pretend like every week is uh, the Super Bowl because it, it does mean that much when you only play 16 games, you only get so many opportunities to win. So, uh, for us, that's kind of our men mentality. Uh, keep working, keep grinding, have that same mentality that we've had the last couple weeks. Adam, feel good luck against your old friend Mike McCarthy and the Dallas Cowboys on Sunday. <laughs> I appreciate it. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. With the Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need. That means you earn 2% cash rewards on what you want, like season tickets to watch your favorite team, and 2% cash rewards on what you need, like paying for parking. That's the beauty of the Active Cash Credit Card. It's ready when you are, with unlimited 2% cash rewards. The Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card. That's real life ready. Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com slash active cash. And now my conversation with the punter of the Los Angeles Rams, a very, very good one at that, Johnny Hecker. Back on the Peter King podcast, really happy to be joined by uh, a player I really, really admire uh, in the NFL, a veteran punter of the Los Angeles Rams, Johnny Hecker. And I have so many questions for you, Johnny. I hope you got about three hours uh, because <laughs> I just think so much of your business, the business of punting and the technical aspects of punting are so kind of weird and mysterious that I don't want to nerd out on you, but I just, I'm going to have to ask you some questions about some nerdy aspects of punting. I hope you don't mind. I, I don't mind one bit. No, I think, uh, you know, maybe once all this COVID stuff uh, is behind us, we can get together for that three hour chat. Oh, good, good. All right. Well, anyway, so, Hey, first of all, you have a new baby, don't you? I do. Yes. Yeah. I was, uh, fortunate enough just to get my two and a half year old down for a nap. And then I got uh, baby Maya, a little 10 week old sleeping right here next to me. So wow. days off or not days off when you got babies. So uh, it's just yeah. fun to spend that time with my other yeah. job, which is being a dad. Yeah, that's cool. Good for you. Yeah, so um, before we get into punting, I just have a, a sort of an odd question about the time that we're living in and how the Rams sort of fit into it. I find it really, really interesting that you guys have been borderline fantastic with COVID and, mm. you know, have, have really done a great job with your franchise. Uh, you had one of your rookies report as a positive test, uh, you know, back in the summer. And I believe mm. you have not had a positive test since then. And uh, I was talking to Kevin Demoff, your, your COO recently, and, and he said, hey, you know, we're, I think so much of it is the fact that we are outside. We've basically moved our operations outside. So we don't have this sort of locker room, close contact, everybody close together that probably a lot of teams, especially at this time of year, are really starting to have. Why do you think you guys have done a good job with the you know, with, with sort of staying safe in COVID. Yeah, I, I think, you know, like Kevin said, a lot of it definitely can be attested to us making the move outside, moving meeting rooms outside, you know, getting the airflow kind of in our giant, our, our head trainer called it the Cirque du Soleil tent. We have a giant tent set up covering, <laughs> you know, about a hundred parking spots. So guys are pretty mad about that losing parking spots, but 
um, you know, staying safe and having that ability to meet kind of in bigger groups, but stay spread out um, as well as kind of a, an added, you know, walk space if we need it um, has been great for us. And I think our coaches have done a great job of buying in, you know, our strength and conditioning staff, as well as our, our medical staff work their tails off to keep three, keep things sanitized, um, you know, and just follow every protocol to a T as much as they can. And, and we've been, you know, supremely accountable when we don't. And, you know, our, all of our facilities, people take accountability for what we're doing and, um, you know, really own up when, when we can be doing better and we try and make sure that we look at ourselves critically in that way as well. You know, we just try and be an accountable organization from top to bottom and, um, you know, shout out to, to Carlos, uh, one of our, one of our cleaning guys, Carlos and, um, and Fernando, two guys that really hold it down for us. Wow. Interesting. Is it something that, uh, is on your mind a lot and is on the mind of your team an awful lot. What has it been like to play now for 10, 11 weeks with COVID-19 hanging over your head? Yeah, I, I think it's, it's something that kind of comes and goes, you know, it's, it's with all the, the protocols and, and new, um, you know, testing regimens and, and uh, you know, requirements for wearing masks at certain times throughout the, throughout the day kind of changing. It seems like it's kind of hitting a moving target, but, um, you know, at the end of the day, I, I really feel like the league and the PA have done a great job of communicating and, and trying to do what's best for the players. And uh, yes, I mean, it's, it's really, you don't think much of it until, you know, a, a protocol changes and you got to readapt to a new situation and, you know, you got to wear your mask for another large percentage of the day, you know, kind of can be, you know, a little bit of an annoyance, but it's what you have to do if you want to keep playing this game. Cause um, you know, this game gives so much to us and so much to, you know, a lot of people out there. So we're really doing it to, um, you know, not only benefit our families, but the people out there that love the game and support us, you know, wholeheartedly and gives people something to kind of rally around. Um, overall, it seems to me, even though the number of cases are up, things seem to be going pretty good. I, I'm, I'm trying not to be too naive about it, but it's mm -hmm. amazing to me to be in week 11 and you haven't had a game pushed back to the end of the season uh you know you had to reschedule some games but as a as a player how do you feel the the whole thing is going i mean it's it's going you know about as well as we could hope for i believe i mean it, this is such an unpredictable um unprecedented moment you know for our country and professional sports you know kind of um, operating within all these um you know confines but it's just you know, we're doing as, as well as we can and, and exposure is going to happen. Listen, that's going to happen. And, and the things that we have in place with contact tracing um, and, and the ability to, to get people treatment and the amount of tests that we're turning out as a league is pretty, you know, incredible. And, and we're really thankful for the, the fact that there are people, you know, looking out for us and doing the, you know, their absolute best to keep everyone safe and keep this league rolling because, you know, like I said, it means so much to so many people. You know, I was talking to Steven Hauschka about this in the, uh, in the summer before the season, he was still on Buffalo. And one of the things he said is I cannot imagine how weird it's going to be to play a football game with no fans. Now that you've had the experience of that, what is it like to play these games mostly with nobody there? Yeah, it's really interesting. Um, you know, it is, it is almost like a, a joint practice with another team. There's not, you know, even during training camp, you can still have fans there. So it's, it's even a step down from that, but uh, you know, it really, you know, it's, it's incredible to hear our sideline, the way we make noise for our, our teammates, you know, run past calls, doing what we can to give guys energy because, you know, there's not thousands of fans in there screaming and, and doing what they can. And um, even when you go to games that do have, you know, certain capacity of fans, whatever it's, you know, it's, it's not what it, what it used to be, but it's um, you know, it's crazy how loud, you know, thousand fans can seem as opposed to 70 you yeah know, but it's it is really interesting and, and i think it does it does put a, a real you know premium on teams that are connected and have good chemistry and um you know have an identity as, as being connected i think you kind of can feel that on sidelines there have been you know certain times we've been playing somebody and their sidelines seem flat or certain games for us certain moments of games when we've seen flat and we need to you know do something as as leaders to get guys up and get people um you know, some, some sort of energy jolt from the sideline. Yeah. So Johnny, one of the things about you as a punter in your career is that, you know, because you have had 
uh, special teams coaches that view the punting game really as an opportunity to do, you know, both surprising things and great things in a game you've mm-hmm. been called on. I mean, I think it, it's kind of amazing. You've been in the NFL since 2012 and you've thrown 22 passes and, you know, I, I, I don't know how many punters in their lives who, you know, who were strictly punters have thrown that, that many passes. What, what has that been like in your career? Do you welcome that? Is it, is it really fun for you to be able to be kind of a versatile punter? Yeah. Yeah. I take a lot of pride in it. I think, you know, like you said, I've been insanely blessed to have played with coaches, special teams coaches and head of the like that, that like to roll the dice that like to, um, you know, use the punt phase as a, a way to attack their game plan and, and do what we can to, you know, shift momentum in that way and, and try and take it back when you need to, or, or just keep a explosive offense from getting the ball back. But, you know, um, you know, playing with fish and, and now Sean, Sean, a guy, offensive minded guy who's always thinking of ways to, you know, boost production and, and get his offense the ball back has been great. So, um, you know, I have, I have a lot of fun. I have a lot of guys that I can trust in and, you know, gunners that can catch the ball and, and coaches that scheme things up for us. So it's like, a, I always tell people, you know, it's easy to complete a pass when, when no one expects you to throw it and, you know, the person just stops on a dime and all you got to do is just pretend like you're two guys in the backyard playing catch. So it's fun. And, I, and it, you know, on the other hand, it helps, helps our coverage game as well. If you get people, you know, starting to bring defensive stay out instead of using a punt rush team and punt holdup guys, then, then those kind of opportunities, you know, lend themselves to help you boost your punting numbers as well. So it's kind of a, you know, a, a double-edged sword there that really helps my production in that way as well. I, I don't remember this and I really am curious about the story. The first in your rookie year, your first month on the job, you were called on to throw a pass, I think from the two yard line. And I don't, I don't recall it, but I looked it up and I said, man, that's weird. Why would Johnny Hecker have thrown a pass from the two yard line? You got to refresh my memory. It was a game against Seattle in St. Louis, the first month, uh, September of 2012. What happened? Yeah, it was, we ran a little hideout with Danny Amendola um, he was in the play before, so he didn't have to. He didn't have to report or do anything crazy. He just kind of wandered off to the side, and we had a little ten-man formation. <laughs> um, the crazy thing was, I was well, actually looking at Greg Zerline. Why, why, why did you get the snap? What 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 happened? Were you were, you were going to kick a field goal? Yeah, yeah, we were going. We was a fake field goal hideout. Um, okay. Yeah, and Greg Zerline took his steps. And the thing is, I'm waiting for him to kind of give me a head nod to snap the ball. And he's just kind of looking, like kind of blank staring off. And I'm thinking, are we still running this play? Is Danny even out there? Because I'm not going to turn my head and look behind me to see. So um, Greg finally, I think Greg tells me, snap it. And then I, so I snap the ball and stand up and uh, just lollipop went over there to Danny. The rest threw a flag, picked it up because it wasn't um, deception because he was in the play before. And it was just uh, – kind of a really fun play to be a part of and you know <laughs> who better to do it against than the Seahawks you know being a guy that grew up in the northwest so all my oh, friends yeah. were really mad about that yeah that's that's really interesting I'm shocked you didn't get drafted were you surprised you did you go to Oregon State and you mm-hmm. don't get drafted and you've had the career you've had are you are you surprised now that you look back that you weren't drafted no I'm really not you know I, I think I'm very, I'm actually kind of glad that I wasn't drafted just because as a undrafted guy, one, your contract is a year shorter. Um, so you get to, you know, get into that more lucrative second contract a year earlier. And then also you get to kind of pick your place where you get to go. If you, um, you know, have, if you have multiple teams courting you, then you get to pick the best situation for you. And, um, you know, I, I really, I was a, a late bloomer in college. I really didn't put up great numbers. I wasn't a guy that, um, I think was on a lot of guys' radar. So I kind of, you know, didn't get an invite to the combine, um, had to go search out my own agent. And, uh, you know, it was a deal where the process kind of just unwound as it did. And I'm really thankful for the way it did because, you know, I got to go to St. Louis and, and play under coach fossil who, you know, I, I attest of, or attribute a ton of my success to, and it kind of just yeah. his, his knowledge he was able to pass on to me. Yeah. Um, as, 
as you have moved on in your career, what I one of the things that I find really, really interesting about you, I looked this up earlier in the year and I couldn't believe it. <clears throat> You've been all pro four times, which means that you have been voted the best kicker in football four times in your first eight years as, as an NFL punter. Ray Guy was only all pro three times. And, you know, obviously in a smaller league. And I wonder, without being too corny, what do you attribute your early success to in, in your career? Um, yeah, I would say just being in the right situation, you know, um, you know, playing under coach fossil when I did, you know, he was always you know, trying to get really fast guys and guys that really cared about special teams. So, um, the effort and execution was never, you know, in question. And, and it was, I was always told, Hey, just hit your best ball. And, and in the off season, you can be creative and, and work on stuff and, and try things out. And, you know, he was always the one telling me to try stuff in games. So if I, you know, could get some misdirection on a ball and try and hit a, away from a returner and that stuff helped. And, um, man, I don't know. I just really had guys that were playing their butts off for me because a punter can't do anything on his own. He's like a, you know, he's like a pitcher. Eventually balls are going to get returned or balls are going to get hit. You need to have guys around you that are going to make you look good. So, um, if, yeah. your, if your fielders are bad or your, your cover guys are bad, then no matter how far you kick it, if it's coming back for touchdowns uh, over and over, then, then no one's really looking good. So I really, you know, tip my hat to all those guys, those years that have you know, put their bodies in and livelihoods on the line to, to help me out. Yeah. So, I want to talk to you about one game you played this year a month ago. It was mm -hmm. a Monday night game against the bears. And this is the first, this is what really kind of motivated me to say really interested in talking to Johnny Hecker about not just the specific game, but mm -hmm. sort of the technique that you used in this game, because in that game, you know, you had punts, uh, that you dropped at the 10, the 7, the 1, the 5, and the 6, which to me, I don't know. I, I, I mean, I'm sure that in your world, uh, things really couldn't have gone much better that night. What do you remember about that night against the Bears on Monday Night Football? Uh, I remember getting lucky bounces, you know, there have been, there have been games where I've, I've felt like I've hit the ball better, um, you know, had better placement and, and things of that sort. But um, sometimes you just don't get bounces or sometimes a ball, you know, with how strangely the ball is shaped, it'll bounce away from somebody or just bounce straight into the end zone, right past your gunner. That's, that's waiting there. You know, it's, it's a weird shaped object trying to stop it and, you know, predict where it's going to go is difficult, but you know, it was, it was just one of those nights where things just went, went right. And, I was able to, to help give our, our defense a lot of field to cover and to defend. And, you know, they're dangerous when they do that. So our gunners also play their butts off getting down there and down in balls, you know, making Ted Ginn uneasy back there trying to catch them. And, um, yeah, and just, just playing some misdirection game. And, and like I said, getting bounces is definitely what I'll remember. So in that game, the one thing I noticed is that twice the ball, basically you think when you punt a football, and I go back to like Darren Bennett with the Chargers where he was so good at making the ball go backwards when you punted. Mm -hmm. Whereas normally, if you just punt a football, if a normal person punts a football, it lands 90% of the time, it just keeps going after it bounces. It keeps going right. in that direction. But you, it seems to me, have really gone to school on directional punting. And I don't just mean you know, having it go out of bounds at the three yard line. And, and so it, it's, it's great. I mean, I mean the ball hitting the ground and either coming up or going backwards. And I want to know how much time it takes, how much practice it takes and how exactly have you learned to do that so well? Yeah. I mean, it, it's really not, I mean, the second it leaves your foot, if anybody tells you, you can, you can make the ball bounce a certain way. They're lying hundred percent. So it's just, it's playing percentages. You know, it's finding ways to kick the ball that will um, make the ball bounce, make the ball bounce, you know, in a, in a straight line, you know, you kick a ball with a kickoff style rotation instead of a, a punt spiral, that ball will, will pretty much, you know, if you're looking at like an X and Y axis, 
will just go only like on the y-axis somewhere so it'll go straight forward or straight back you know if the ball's rotating in the end over end fashion versus a spiral that thing could hit and really go anywhere you know so it's just realizing which way you know to best let your gunners predict where the ball is going to go and, and just hitting those kind of balls and placing them where you say you're going to do it, you know, is what really helps guys out and helps your production be good. But um, as far as you know, practicing that stuff, you know, I, in college, I worked a lot on the kind of the Australian drop punt, um, which is the nose down kind of kickoff style rotation. Like I said, field goal rotation. Yeah. Um, and then other stuff you just kind of develop as you watch other punters. When you say the do. nose down, when you say the mm-hmm. nose down, okay. Yep. Does that mean that you connect with the football at a different area of the football with your foot? Yes. Yeah. So it's, it's essentially almost like you're hitting a, you know, a ball that's held on the ground, like a field goal and just up in the air. So you're hitting it almost in the same spot as the sweet spot of a field goal, but you're just hitting it with the top of your foot instead of the side, like a kicker. So um, there are guys that can kind of tilt the ball a little bit um, one way or another, like a, like on a steering wheel, the, the tips would be at like, 11 and five instead of, you know, one and 12, but, or yeah, yeah, 12 and six, excuse me. But, right. Um, so that'll give a different curve on the ball and, and just the more you manipulate it and, and work different angles of the drop, um, that's kind of what changes the flight of the ball. And there's some guys out there, out there. Sam Cook has been a guy that's done a bunch of misdirection stuff with, you know, his end over end kicks, you know, showing right and then hitting it left. That's been something that's really taken off. And a lot of guys have started doing that. You know, when returners started playing one way, thinking they're going to get a spiral ball, and then you hit something completely away from them and, and got to make them run and be uncomfortable catching the ball. That's something that you just – you watch other punters and you take from it what you can and, and you just try and add that stuff into your, into your repertoire. And is that something that, let's say, when you go out and, and, and practice on a normal day, is that yeah. something that you do every practice – you, you know, you try to work on different techniques so that if you do want the ball to kind of go straight up in the air at the five yard line, mm-hmm. you work on, you work on that specific type of punt. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, a, a few, a few kicks. I'm, I'm not spending a lot of day really like tinkering with it or experimenting. I'm just working on, um, you know, if the conditions are windy at our facility, I'll work on, you know, where I start the ball and where I want it to end up. Um, or, or work on kind of the orientation of how I hold the ball to get that same flight. But uh, for the most part, it's, you know, you just go through my normal routine of what I do during the week is, is pretty standard, but we do like to hit some balls with our gunners every week and just give them experiencing experience trying to down them. Yeah. It, it, last two things I wanted to ask you, do you think yep. sometimes in the course of a game, let's take that bears game, for instance, where you had a gigantic role in the game. Not that you want to stand up after the game and say, hey, look at me, but I wonder, do you think that the public doesn't really appreciate field position football enough or what guys like you do? Um, I, I think, you know, it's definitely, and, you know, it's not about, <laughs> you know, one, one player making a play go. It's really all 11, and that's why football is the best game there is. But um, I think – I think the perception is changing. I think there's a lot of people that are starting to, you know, really enjoy watching special teams. And I, you know, there are a lot of really big football fans out there that have always, you know, been like that, but it's definitely something that's being talked about more in media, getting more coverage. Um, you know, you think about the Pat McAfee's you know, guys that have kind of gone before us, Jay Feely guys that are now in announcing roles and commentating roles that can provide a different perspective to the normal fan. Um, and that kind of stuff, I think lends itself, you know, to the success of, the brand is like to say. Yeah. Um, it, and, and how much do you actually find yourself sort of studying the game, studying other punters and give me an example, if you can, if you do this mm-hmm. of something you might've learned from watching one of your peers punt the football. Yeah. I mean, the thing is, you know, I'm usually studying the other team's uh, return units you know but but in that same in the same operation there's another team punting to them so I usually will watch their punters as well and you know it's it's kind of like you you want to watch the returner but you I'm always stuck watching the other punters for some reason just seeing what they're doing and and kind of how the result of the punt turned out for them but 
um, you know, there's little things that a bunch of guys do um, that I've kind of picked up on. You know, I think of trying to keep my steps really small and repeatable, like Thomas Morstead. He's a guy that is, has one of the most sound techniques of any punter I've ever seen. You know, he's a guy that's performed at a really high level. You know, we call him kind of punting robot because how good he is. You know, he's like almost like a jugs machine uh, with his placement and everything too. So I'm um, trying to keep my keep my technique, you know, short and not not really trying too hard. Every ball just be smooth like him. And then, um, like I said before, Sam Cook, he's a guy that that really was popular doing a lot of misdirection stuff with returners, just trying to get them uncomfortable, make them think he's going one way and hit the ball the other way. Um, that's something I've taken from him. Um, both Colquitt brothers hit going in balls um, a little unique, kind of they hold the hold the uh, the nose of the ball out a little bit, or the yeah the tip of the ball, the bottom out a little bit more, and kind of hit across the ball. Um, uh, there was a a kicker at Oregon State, Nick Perebsky, a punter who actually showed me that Australian banana ball where the watermelon punt, as some people have been calling it. Yeah, um, the one you know, sideways spin on that. So, you know, there's. You're always learning. Always. What does that? What does that? What does that watermelon punt do? What is that? What does that watermelon punt do? And what? What's the? What is the? What's the reason for doing that one? Yeah. So that one is, you know, you you like to do that one because I have, you know, I can show right and then hit an end over end ball to the left, and I usually have a strong tendency to hit going in balls to the left side of the field. So the return team's right side. Um, then I kind of developed the banana ball as a, a change up to that where I show left and then hit the ball. And it's almost like fading a golf ball. You know, it starts trajectory left and then just fades right and keeps fading right because the ball is spinning sideways. Um, so it's just a it's a really tough ball to track. It, it comes down weird to the returner and, um, you know, also has a pretty predictable bounce bounce pattern for the gunners. So it's just a, I want to look I want to look at that. I want to look at a banana punt. So. Tell me, and I'll go back and yeah. look at it. Uh, one of your punts on mm-hmm. NFL Game Pass. What 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 game am I going to look at? D- does one stick hit, out to you? I hit one. I think the first one I ever hit in a game was at home against Indianapolis, um, maybe in 2018. Yeah. Um, it was our home opener, and then I also hit, I hit two of them um, against Indianapolis, or not Indianapolis. I hit two of them against Chicago. Excuse me, on Monday night. Oh, okay. All right. Either of those are the ones that uh, you landed inside the 10? Yep. Yeah, both of them were. One of them wow. like bounced to the 15 and then kept bouncing forward and was down to the five, I believe. Yeah, yeah. I'll look I'll look at those things. Um, cool. Hey, well, listen, I really, really appreciate you taking the time in the middle of being a dad. Thank you. And, Absolutely. Uh, hey, really appreciate it. Good luck Monday night. That's that's a big game in uh, in Tampa. Yeah. Big one for all of us. Yeah, let's go get it done. Outside. Thanks, Peter. Hey, no problem. And and one and one other thing, you guys have been going to the East Coast like every other week. It's unbelievable. This is your fifth I'm really, trip to the Eastern Time Zone, man. Really sick of it. Really sick of it. Going corner <laughs> to corner, not fun. Yeah. Hey, well, listen. All the That'd best to you. Though. Thanks so much, Johnny. Thanks. Thanks, Peter. Likewise. Have a good one. My thanks to Adam Thielen of the Minnesota Vikings, and to the punter, Johnny Hecker, of the Los Angeles Rams. A fun pod this week. So before we get out, let me remind you to do one thing, and one thing only, in the next week or so of your life. I know you might have some concerns about COVID, and uh, you might have an unusual Thanksgiving, but I can tell you one thing that you will do on Thanksgiving. Right after the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade on NBC, you will watch the National Dog Show. It's going to be right here on NBC. You're going to love it. It's going to be fun. And I'll tell you, one of the reasons I love dog shows is because I love dogs. And I guarantee you, on that afternoon, even though the television will be wall-to-wall football, there will be a break in the King House because the two kings the husband, the wife, and the third king, Chuck the dog, the rescue semi-golden retriever. We will be in front of our TVs before we have our Thanksgiving feast, and we will be watching the National Dog Show. And for once, I just hope, just once, could you not rip off the golden retriever? 
Every dog show I've ever watched, the best dog by far has been the Golden Retriever. Does the Golden ever win? No, no. And it is an outrage. It's an absolute total outrage. So I just wanted to give that very, very fair and unbiased view of dogs in general. And hey, look, it's not gonna be a normal Thanksgiving. We had every plan, uh, my wife Ann and I, to go out West and uh, to be with my daughter, Mary Beth and her husband, Nick in Seattle for Thanksgiving. Not gonna happen this year, but uh, you know, the next best thing will happen. We'll have a big Thanksgiving dinner in Brooklyn, New York, and we will watch the National Dog Show on NBC. I hope you do too. Listen, have a great football week, everybody. I will have a podcast next week. Uh, hopefully there will be some fun with this podcast next week, but we'll see what happens. Thanks a lot for listening this week. Enjoy week 11 of the National Football League. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. With the Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need. That means you earn 2% cash rewards on what you want, like season tickets to watch your favorite team, and 2% cash rewards on what you need, like paying for parking. That's the beauty of the Active Cash Credit Card. It's ready when you are with unlimited 2% cash rewards. The Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card. That's real life ready. Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com slash active cash.